You are listening to The Pulse, Rod Murray's e-learning tech podcast. Number 200, Podcasting and e-learning milestones. teaser was from a group called Cruise Box. It's called On a Podcast. And that was my main theme years ago when I started podcasting. I'll play the full song at the end of my podcast. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by D2L. You may know their main product, the Brightspace Learning Management System. I, of course, would only accept sponsorship from companies and products that I'm very fond of. So please check out their website at d2l.com slash pulsepodcast to learn more. I also invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is Rods Pods. As always, I post links to the things we talk about on my show notes website at www.rodspulsepodcast.com. This podcast is a special one. It's my 200th podcast, so I thought it'd be a great time to remark on some of the progress I've seen since I started podcasting in 2006. So with the help of Dr. Linda Guerra, who happens to be my wife, uh, she'll be asking me some questions about my thoughts about podcasting and e-learning progress over the years. So I'll be talking about how podcasting got started, and I'll even have an excerpt from my 10th anniversary edition, a, an episode called Podcasting 101, with some kind of humorous recordings uh, from Steve Jobs as he introduced podcasting and who we call the pod father, Adam Curry. I'll talk about how my podcast started as a podcast on podcasting for our faculty. We'll cover some e-learning milestones and trends and the impact of the pandemic on e-learning. I'll give a shout out to some of my education futurist heroes, and I'll have links to their interviews on my show notes. And I especially want to give a boost to some very interesting Clever New EdTech Startups. It's one of my favorite kinds of interview to do. And of course, the promise of ed technology for the future. So without further ado, here is my interview. Why did you decide to talk about podcasting and e-learning milestones for this episode? This month marks my 200th podcast. Actually, I've actually produced more than 200 I recorded seven that I label as a part of my COVID converted series, but incidentally, I'm not going to be singling out that series from now on because most of the converted ed tech has been baked into our educational system by now. So I guess it's our new normal. I've been at this for a pretty long time. So most never heard of podcasting when I, when I launched my podcast, but it has seen tremendous growth and perhaps the uh, COVID pandemic helped accelerate the adoption. I thought this was a good time to remark on some of the progress I've seen since I started my podcast way back in 2006. When did podcasting start, Rod? Well, it's interesting. It's no coincidence. Uh, When I looked up the history of podcasting the other day, the article started out back in 2006. And uh, to quote a bit from the uh, The website, I I found that on uh, Statista.com, they said back in 2006, 
Only 22% of the adult population in the U.S. was aware of podcasting. By 2021, the figure has risen to 78%. Podcasting is an increasingly popular pastime in the U.S., and there were estimated 120 million podcast listeners in the country in 2021. Forecasts suggest that the number of podcast listeners will surpass 160 million in 2023 after an increase of around 20 million each year. End quote. Why did you start your podcast? Well, when I started back in 2006, it was a podcast about podcasting. I wanted to introduce podcasting to our faculty as a convenient way for students to consume educational content in addition to reading and and, uh, watching lectures and so on. So over the years, my content shifted to covering the latest educational technology. I started out interviewing C-level executives of some leading educational technology companies, for example, Blackboard, D2L, Echo360, ExamSoft, Mathematica, and others. Sometimes I reported interviews that I recorded at national educational conferences such as Educause and Blackboard World. But lately, my favorite format has become um, talking to entrepreneurs about their ed tech startups. I find their their enthusiasm is great, and I also, of course, like to listen and learn about some brand new educational technologies. Maybe you can give us an example of one of your earlier topics. Sure. In fact, um, periodically, I did an episode called Podcasting 101. This is particularly back when I was in the beginning, when I was trying to, when I was doing my podcast on podcasting. So. I gave the listener a tutorial on how to do their own podcast. I covered how to pick a microphone, how to find uh, so-called pod safe music like I play on my podcast, how to edit their audio tracks and, and where to host their files and, and how to write their show notes and also how to distribute the podcast. However, nowadays it's very easy. You could just do a Google search for how do I start a podcast and you'll see over 80,000 hits so obviously it's become much easier and for a price, um, several turnkey platforms allow you to start very quickly. In fact, you really basically just choose a topic and start talking, but uh, just don't expect to get rich. I know that firsthand. Of course, I'm very grateful to my sponsors, which started later in my podcasting career, uh, Inside Higher Ed and, and uh, now D2L. But uh, to answer your question more fully, I thought it would be fun to listen to a clip from my 10th anniversary edition on Podcasting 101, and um, it'll tell you a little bit more about the early days of podcasting. So how did I first discover podcasting? For years, it turns out I commuted to work using public transit, and part of that was in the subway. I liked to listen to radio music way back then in the dark ages. And, uh, however, there's no uh, radio reception in the subway. So I had to resort to creating my own music playlists and burning MP3 files onto CDs. I had a portable CD player called the Rio Vault. And this is, of course, before the iPod came out. So speaking of the iPod, MP3 players have been around for quite a while, since, actually since the mid-90s. Um, but Steve Jobs didn't like them. He said those gadgets were crap. And I think a lot of people agreed. So he announced the original iPod in October 2001. 
Getting back to my problem, though, I didn't have an iPod. I had my RioVolt player. But I thought there must be a better way. Uh, I liked listening to NPR, and I wanted to find out there's some way I could take news radio and put it on my CD. It would be pretty labor-intensive. So I remember doing a Google search, and I probably searched something like download radio audio, and I discovered something called a podcast. So I started listening to podcasts. Uh, One of the very first ones was the Daily Source Code. The Daily Source Code was podcast produced by Adam Curry, and uh, we call him the Podfather. He was considered one of the pioneers of podcasting. And he talked about everyday life, but he also used that as a way to communicate with developers uh, who helped him to develop, among other things, software called a podcatcher. So he developed his podcatcher, and it was really made obsolete when Apple came out with a new version of iTunes finally in 2005. So that really made it much more convenient to listen to my podcasts. One of the more humorous video clips I I found along the way, and I reported in in an earlier podcast, was Steve Jobs describing podcasting at the D3 conference back in 2005. So listen carefully and you'll see what I mean. Here's another one. Adam Curry is uh, one of the guys that invented podcasting. And uh, he has a podcast called The Daily Source. Let me go ahead and subscribe to that. And uh, we can go listen to his latest one. You know, just click on it. your daily source code, show number 180. Something remarkable is happening here. Radio is springing free of the regulated gatekeepers who've managed what you can hear since radio was invented. It's jumping into the hands of anyone at all with something or nothing to say. Adam Curry was a pilot. The next generation radio content in my ears. We don't need no I like to think I'm flying into the future. Podcasting is Adam Curry. That's right. It's show number 180, and it's Friday, everybody. Thank God. I've actually had to restart the show three times. My Mac has been acting up like a motherfucker. I don't know what's going on. I think it's uh, something to do with uh, the file system. Okay. Uh, it's a bit embarrassing. Uh, how, do you, how do you control, say, dirty stuff? I mean, uh, uh, we're going to have an explicit flag on these like we do the music so you can know if it's explicit. So I can find it easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, uh, iTunes uh, became a great way to listen to your podcasts. So in the beginning, there was Adam Curry in 2004. By the way, Adam Curry, I don't think I mentioned, was a the first video DJ on MTV. That was his claim to fame. So Adam Curry and Dave Weiner were credited with the invention of podcasting. So how's that for a step back in time? Now let's get back to our main interview today. Before I ask about e-learning milestones, how do you define e-learning? Well, I cover e-learning as any technology that helps us learn, and that would include electronic textbooks, simulations, programmed or so-called adaptive learning software applications, sometimes presentation software other than PowerPoint. That's been around for quite a while, and faculty certainly know how to use that. But there's another uh, ed tech category that I also cover, technology that helps to assess our learning. 
That would include exam and proctoring software, learning analytics software, and some early warning software that's intended to help identify students that are at risk. And of course, lastly, I cover the Learning Management System, or LMS, and these are the big platforms that help to bring together all these educational technologies, along with the learning content. You know, it's a repository for documents and, and files that are included in the uh, teaching, including syllabi and, and various links to other learning applications. Okay, what are some of the trends that you've noticed over the years? Well, of course, my coverage of ed tech, it's not surprising that I've seen a clear trend from classroom tech, classroom-based tech, and desktop learning to mobile learning. And of course, uh, this was advanced by the iPhone, which came out in 2007, and the iPad in 2012. And now I would say mobile video is perhaps the most important educational medium these days. Uh, in fact, uh, Apple's initial focus was on hobbyists and education. You may remember that the Apple II was marketed as a personal computer, but it quickly found its way into the classroom. Now, of course, Apple is an entertainment powerhouse. Is it any wonder that Apple pioneered these technologies and has become the most valuable company in the world? EdTech mirrors entertainment tech, in case you haven't noticed. And if you are as old as me, you might remember film strips, 16-millimeter movies, and eventually TV uh, shown in your primary and secondary school classrooms. Later in higher ed, lectures were supplemented with uh, CD-ROM content and video, and all of these EdTech advances came after the corresponding entertainment tech was established. Today, streaming media has largely replaced physical media, records, tapes, MP3 files uh, that have been used to entertain us all along. Okay, well, may, you may have answered my next question, which is, how does streaming relate to online learning? Well, streaming has not replaced uh, traditional educational content, but it is gaining fast. We talk about just-in-time learning, flipped classrooms, and most important, online learning, and certainly enhanced the utility of using streaming video. In fact, uh, if I think back, one of my first tasks upon employment at my university about a dozen years ago was to implement lecture capture and playback. And of course, this was a very popular way for students to time shift the lectures. If they miss class, they were sick or they just want to sleep in, they could watch lectures via streaming video. And as a result, uh, some of these software companies, uh, the video distribution systems also became a subject that I covered in some of my podcasts. Of course, um, distance education itself has been around for years. And um, I was gonna say, Remember correspondence courses? Uh, actually, I don't, but uh, I remember back, uh, you know, decades ago that people were sent videotapes and they they corresponded, uh, uh, got their education in that way. Of course, in the '90s, uh, when you know internet internet came along and uh, and the World Wide Web, uh, video streaming can be used for live lectures in a synchronous online course, um, as most universities do these days, or via video on demand for asynchronous courses. And we're seeing a, more and more of a shift in what we today, instead of calling distance learning, we call online learning. And uh, uh, most online learning programs uh, usually have a mix of uh, synchronous and, and more and more asynchronous courses. How 
would you say the pandemic has changed e-learning? Well, um, as I referenced, uh, pandemic has certainly given a boost to streaming video. And we rapidly moved from teaching in the classroom to what I call emergency teaching via Zoom. Of course, uh, it's it's been a struggle, but classroom teachers all over the world were thrust into this uh, online teaching mostly using Zoom as their preferred platform. It was really the most uh, robust system around at the time. And as a result of that, uh, you know, just like uh, we're doing now, uh, most of those lessons were recorded. And the convenience of consuming video, especially for students uh, using their modern mobile phones and tablets, can't be overstated. It's been very popular, obviously, at least uh, on the cons consumption end, although I feel sorry for for faculty that were thrust into that uh, mode. In addition, prior to the pandemic, it was widely held that traditional higher ed business model was seriously challenged. And since the pandemic, there's been a tremendous investment in ed tech as it ramped up at the beginning of 2020. And it's now said that over, I read 2,500 colleges now offer online programs but it's becoming concentrated. In fact, the, the 100 largest players have almost 50% of the student enrollment, according to uh, the Department of Education. So traditional higher ed is under pressure. It's, it's sad, but I think uh, some of the smaller colleges and uh, especially the, the private schools are, are going to be in trouble financially. They are already. Rod, what keeps you excited about e-learning? and prompts you to do these podcasts? Well, anybody who knows me know that I'm an early adopter of technology, entertainment technology, and, and basically, you name it. So um, through podcasting, I've been privileged to be able to interview faculty and certain ed tech executives and entrepreneurs uh, to help me discover new educational technology trends that I might want to explore. In fact, uh, I confess, I often killed two birds with one stone. Uh, at my day job, if I was leading the implementation of a new technology on campus, I could educate myself and produce a podcast at the same time. I always had the most fun picking the brains of educational futurists. Probably the most well-known futurist is Brian Alexander, who continues to produce a mountain of great content. Uh, he has been a contributor to the annual Educause Horizon Report, which profiles key trends and emerging technologies. And uh, in fact, um, go to his website, brianalexander.org, and you can learn, learn more about his uh, Future Trends Forum, which is a weekly forum, his uh, monthly FTTE report, and uh, his, the books that he's written. In fact, I've interviewed him several times in my podcast. Uh, others interviewed who I count as futurists were Michelle Weiss, Tony Bates, J.T. Kosman, and Ken Hartman. In fact, uh, if you look at my show notes, I have links to those uh, interviews on on my podcast. Earlier, I mentioned that I really like to talk to entrepreneurs about their new edtech startups. In fact, several of my recent interviews of these entrepreneurs were about companies that are trying to improve online learning using some very clever video tech. Some of them even want to replace Zoom, which, as you probably know, uh, has become a de facto standard for synchronous online teaching. In fact, uh, I would really like to give them a shout out. I've interviewed them, but um, some of the ones that I'll point out here are Class for Zoom, which extends the functionality of Zoom for the classroom, Engagely, Harmonize, and last, uh, InSpace, which is a very exciting 
technology, and I have links to these in my show notes. So I uh, I recommend that you take a look at those exciting new technologies. Well, Rod, I think once again, you've anticipated my next question, which is what e-learning milestones do you foresee for the future? Well, first, I want to say that uh, I certainly sympathize with all teachers, in fact, parents and students who have been disrupted uh, through the limitations brought on by the pandemic. And I hope that face-to-face teaching in the classroom will return from most of us, especially K-12 students, which certainly really need that face-to-face attention. However, I'm sad to say that higher ed has been permanently changed, I believe. You know, the as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, pandemic has accelerated the shift in business plans of higher ed, and they put extreme financial pressure on smaller private, especially the second-tier colleges and universities. Many are merging and some are going out of business. Unfortunately, only the top-tier universities will be able to afford traditional on-campus face-to-face experience in the future. I hope that's not the case, but I'm afraid we're headed in that direction. On the bright side, I can only hope that the rest of these institutions will embrace some emerging technology that will help to reduce the cost and lower tuition. After all, that's a main barrier to, to many students and families. And I think it would certainly help to extend their reach if they adopt some of these technologies. So I believe the future uh, e-learning milestones would involve successful implementation of more automation, artificial intelligence, even blockchain tech, uh, and and especially we've been hearing a lot about augmented, mixed, and virtual reality tools. Um, you know, Facebook changed their name to to Meta. You know, and they're supposedly uh, launching you know a sort of a virtual world in terms of using uh, virtual reality tools. It's a new world, and certainly people that know me know that I'm optimistic, and I'm optimistic that higher ed will adapt and bring better education to more students, especially the underserved students worldwide. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Murray. Well, I hope you got a kick out of uh, this particular episode. Maybe some of you will be encouraged to listen to more podcasts or even create your own. So stay tuned for the full song on a podcast. Until next time, have a great week.
That's it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to give Rod feedback. You can leave comments on his blog or send email to rod at rodspulsepodcast.com. The preceding audio commentary is the product of the author, Dr. Rodney Murray, and does not represent the official viewpoint of any other institution or company.